You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Thank you for joining me. I'm Al Melchior, your host for this show. And uh, lots of news today, but not necessarily uh, news that you're going to get all excited about because it was arbitration day. The deadline uh, was earlier today for the uh, exchange of arbitration figures, and so several players settled on uh, not not uh, for arbitration but uh, agreed to one-year deals and we had a record breaker we actually had three deals that cleared the 10 million dollar mark for 2018 so you know a lot of uh, news coming across your uh, your news feed of choice but not a whole lot that was really fantasy relevant uh, but uh, since uh, Monday's show we have had a couple of signings so we're going to talk about those and couple of updates on J.D. Martinez and you, Darvish. And very, very excited today. I teased this a little bit on Monday's show. Going to have Ron Chandler join me a little bit later on. Um, some big news out of uh, Ron Chandler's world. Uh, last year, he uh, introduced Babs, and he just recently introduced Babs for minor leaguers. So I'm certainly going to ask him about that. But uh, I'm going to ask about a whole bunch of stuff that he's uh, written about lately. It's always great to have uh, have uh, Ron uh, on the show and uh, great to get his insights. And I'm going to bring the Around the Horn landscape show uh, to a close today. Uh, been going uh, position by position. And again, these are not really full-fledged position previews. I'll be getting to those soon enough. Uh, but these are just more taking a look at the landscape. And, and just to clarify uh, what I mean by that, uh, looking at, at how projected uh, production is going to be distributed, and not in any sort of formalized way, but just basically how top-heavy is it, uh, how many fallbacks are there, what's just the general strategy that you might be able to take at each of these positions. So I'm going to wind that up today with relievers and man, that is a messy, messy one to deal with. But then again, it is pretty much every year. But uh, really, really interesting landscape this year. So I will devote some time to that as well. But uh, again, the the big news, such as it is, from the arbitration deadline is that Josh Donaldson and the Blue Jays agreed to a $23 million deal that's the largest ever for an ARB-eligible player. So that's uh, good to know. Of course, there have been some trade rumors with Josh Donaldson. And um, we have Charlie Blackman with a $10 or a 10, a 10, 14, I'm not sure where that came from, a $14 million deal for 2018. And then Jose Abreu at $13 million. So those are the three big ones, but lots and lots of players signing one year deals today to avoid arbitration. Anyhow, be right back with more news, more analysis, and Ron Chandler joining me as well. So stick around. Be right back. 
Playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com slash premium and learn more about our awesome product. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And we are just one segment away from being joined by Ron Chandler, one of the all-time greats and pioneers of fantasy baseball and uh, known for uh, Baseball HQ and the uh, Ron Chandler Baseball Forecaster. Uh, these days, he's got uh, ronchandler.com writing for ESPN. So you definitely want to stick around for that. But between now and then, got some news to break down. Uh, I mentioned we got uh, several uh, one-year deals uh, with players to avoid arbitration. The big ones, uh, Josh Donaldson with his record-breaking $23 million deal. Charlie Blackman for $14 million. Uh, Jose Abreu for $13 million. Many, many, many others. Um, one player who did not uh, agree with this team uh, for a, on a one-year deal is Manny Machado. Though. So it looks like the Orioles and Manny Machado are going to arbitration. So that should be interesting. Uh, but other Manny Machado news uh, over the last day or two, uh, the revelation from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic that the Diamondbacks have been the most pers- persistent team in the uh, Machado sweepstakes. So we've heard some about uh, the Yankees uh, pursuing Machado, but uh, the Diamondbacks have actually been the team that uh, have apparently had the most steady interest. Now there's, not any report of a deal being close with the Diamondbacks or any other team, but it does get you to thinking about how uh, the D-backs might realign uh, their infield. Uh, I think it would be safe to assume that Machado would be playing shortstop for them and not third base. But uh, then does that mean that Catal Marte gets traded? Does he get moved over to second base, as I saw uh, one writer speculate? So that's going to be a fun one to watch. But for for fantasy purposes... I, I I don't think it matters that much where Machado winds up. I mean, obviously, if he were to go to, I don't know, if you were going to the Yankees, obviously, that would be a good, good thing for his value or for anybody's value, you know, just like it was for, for Giancarlo Stanton. But I, I think the bigger concern for us fantasy owners is how much weight to give Machado's 20, uh, 2017 season, which was mildly disappointing. Uh, did hit 33 home runs, had a little bit of a stolen base rebound, uh, getting nine steals after none in 2016, which was one of the weirder, weirder statistical artifacts from that season. But he hit just 259. Uh, but uh, there's it's kind of a good news, bad news thing. When I was looking at Machado's profile from last year and trying to trace back why the low batting average, he did have a 15.8% line drive rate, and that is a pretty decent driver of a player's batting average on balls in play, or of course, as we know it, BABIP. And Machado's BABIP was just 265 last year, below his norms, below the major league norms. And yet uh, I went and sort of checked my work over on 
Xstats, which is a great reference. I've cited it a few times on the show. You should definitely check it out. Great tools and spreadsheets over there. And uh, according to Xstats, his expected BABIP from last year was 298. That makes a lot more sense because while Machado wasn't hitting a lot of line drives and maybe the BABIP would have been suppressed somewhat, he certainly hits with enough thump and it has you know, that little bit of speed that it's it's easy to see him being an above average rather than a below average Babbitt hitter. So there's uh, over at X stats, they're saying his expected Babbitt should have been 298. That uh, certainly jives with what common sense would tell you, uh, which means that Machado should have a bounce back year this coming year. And again, it's hard to just isolate one thing. This is one of the things that I hope to be talking to Ron Chandler about in the next segment uh, because his system uh, that he calls Babs, he accounts for the fact that there's so many different variables and you just can't keep them all contained and say, okay, we're going to hold everything constant and and this is what we can expect. Um, you, you don't you, Sure, Machado might have a, a big rebound in batting average, but what is going to happen with the stolen base total? Uh, what's going to happen with his run production. And some of that, of course, is beyond his control. Might have to do with the lineup around him. Might have to do with just some random things. Uh, so uh, I'll get to that with, with Ron Chandler, but Manny Machado is a good case study in why um, these sorts of analyses can can take us far, but only so far uh, in, in determining what kind of season to look forward to ahead. Um also, Josh Donaldson, to go back to him and with his record-breaking one-year deal, he hit just 270 last year. But in his case, it had much more to do with the frequency with which he made contact rather than what happened with the ball once he did make contact. And that's something that maybe we can feel a little bit more secure about uh, because there is a certain randomness to what happens with balls in play. And he had a strikeout rate of 22.4% last season, which is uh, well above his norm, but it was completely skewed by one month, July, where he struck out 29% of the time. And it's hard to just tie that to injury because he did miss a big chunk of the season, most of April and May with a strained right calf. So this was well after he returned from that. So it just, you know, just might've been just a slump. Just maybe his timing was off. I don't know. I don't have the explanation for why Donaldson had that bad month. But what I do feel confident in is is the fact that because it was limited to that one month and the strikeout rates that Donaldson put up the rest of the season were much more in line with what he typically does, that I feel pretty confident that Donaldson will bounce back in terms of batting average. And then that will, in turn, help his run production. Not that it was bad last year on a per game basis, but uh, I think we can look forward to better things. And and what I've seen in early mocks is that Donaldson's going typically like late second round. So I think that's a bargain. And I talked about that in the third base landscape piece that I did uh, a few episodes back where I think Donaldson is, is in the third base elite. I think he's right there uh, with Machado, with, with uh, Arenado, um, He's 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 right there, uh, you know, Chris Bryant. So, uh, he, I, I think compared to the other top third baseman, that Donaldson will be a, a relative value. 
Uh, Charlie Blackman, as I mentioned, uh, got one of those uh, nice one-year deals. His was worth $14 million. He had a huge season last year. And I, I picked him as a, uh, as a bust because he had a big power breakout in 2016 that just didn't seem to be backed up by increases in um, StatCast measures in particular. Um, but just all the, the sort of indicators that you would look for for a big increase in power didn't seem to be there. Uh, so what he did, and this is, a, this is a great example too, going back to what I was saying about Machado, that there's so many different variables to keep a hold of. So I looked at Blackman and said, oh, there's a, there's a power regression coming for him. But the thing that he did that I didn't count on was he actually, in 2017, did hit the ball harder and farther. So his fly ball, average fly ball distance trend for 2015, 16, 17. 2015, 310 feet. Not really that great. But again, he's got Coors Field, so that helped. Went up you know, modestly in uh, 2016. 321 feet. So it's not like there wasn't any indication of greater power. Just didn't seem in proportion to what actually showed up on the stat sheet. But then last year, 338 feet on average for his fly ball distance. And he hit 24 of his 37 homers at Colorado. So it's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. This could be repeatable and sustainable as long as Charlie Blackman remains a member of the Rockies. So uh, moving on, a couple of signings that I mentioned, I alluded to, but didn't actually tell you what they were. Uh, but you probably know about these. Jay Bruce is coming back to the New York Mets after a brief stint with the Indians. He and the Mets agreed on a three-year deal worth $39 million. And Bruce had arguably a career year in 2017. Bad 254, which is pretty normal for Bruce. Not a big strikeout guy, but he is a big fly ball guy. Not a big uh, BABIP producer. So 254, but a career high 36 home runs for somebody who's been a good home run hitter, but that was a career high. And that made Bruce the 39th best outfielder in terms of roto value last season, according to the ESPN player Raider. So that may be as good as it gets for Bruce. And again, maybe he, he pulls a Charlie Blackman and he goes, uh, you know, goes next level uh, in 2018. But uh, again, I think we can bank on that. And so maybe number four, number five outfielder is the best we can expect from Jay Bruce, even with a, you know, a, a repeat or a close to a repeat. And the other signing, much less consequential for fantasy, uh, Miguel Gonzalez coming back to the Chicago White Sox. So like Bruce, he had a, a little bit of a uh, respite, uh, went to the Rangers uh, last season, but now he's coming back to the White Sox on a one-year $4.75 million deal. Anyhow, uh, much more to come. But uh, first, we're going to have Ron Chandler join us. Can't wait for this. Just a few minutes away. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This 
Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and it's time for our guest today, and I'm very, very proud and excited to have uh, this particular guest today. Uh, going to be joined here by Ron Chandler. You know him from years and years of the uh, Baseball Forecaster and from his days with uh, Baseball HQ, pioneer in the field, and now contributor for ESPN.com, and uh, you can find his work at ronchandler.com. Ron, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, l- let's get right to it because uh, uh, I know you've been busy and I want to talk about some of the things that you've been working on. I've talked a bit about Babs already in the show and we'll, we'll certainly get back uh, back to that or I, sh- I should say her because whenever you write about Babs, uh, you do uh, anthropomorph- anthropomorphize her. Uh, but uh, you put something on ronchandler.com, uh, the, your annual disclosure statement, which I thought was pretty cool. And um, I, I uh, have been talking here on this show about my, my fantasy New Year's resolutions. So sort of similar, but, but not entirely. But your, your first thing uh, in that statement that's bullet pointed is that uh, you wanted to do more to assess players by looking at the human element and not be uh, not that you've ever relied uh, entirely on stats, but to, to maybe uh, do that even less so. And that seems like a, a great idea. You know, we miss that on so much if we, we just look at the stats. But how, how does one capture the human element? It's, it seems like a, a tough thing to, uh, to measure and to take account of. Well, it, it really comes down to uh, a lot of the, the work that I've done over the last few years. Babs and the broad assessment balance sheet is, is a lot of what it's about. You know, we, we tend to get caught up in looking at players as numbers-producing machines. Uh, we, we, we view them in terms of how many home runs they're going to hit or how many strikeouts they'll get. But um, statistics are very imprecise, and I think Babs removes the precision of statistics from the player evaluation process. Uh, so it looks at more at underlying skill and risk and accepts the fact that there's variability of, of everything about this game. So we get a better sense of who these players are as people, not as numbers. So you know, I, I no longer see these, these players as 35 home run hitters and whatnot. I, I see broad groupings of skill. I, I know that um, within those groupings, the statistics will be all over the place. But we can still embrace that imprecision and, and create a structure for building a roster, even without statistics. So I, I think that's a better way of looking at them because we just don't know really what actual numbers they're going to put up. We just have a general sense of what their skills are. Yeah, well, I gave two examples of that in the last segment, um, talking about uh, Manny Machado 
and how he seems to be an obvious batting average positive regression candidate, but you don't know what other value, uh, other variables might either complement that or maybe neutralize that improvement, assuming that improvement even does happen. And also Charlie Blackman, who I had as a bust last year because I didn't think the, the power gains that he had in 2016 were backed up by peripheral stats, but then he went out and improved the peripheral stats anyway in 2017. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a game of whack-a-mole to, you know, try to keep all these different variables, uh, you know, under, under control. Um, so, I, you know, I don't want to give away too much, Ron, because I think people should go and check out Babs for themselves. But uh, the, the basic idea is it's it's a ledger sheet where you have a, a series of uh, assets and uh, uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on on the word, but you know basically not deficits, but uh, liabilities. Liability. Yeah, that uh, you, you know that that the people have. So um, when you talk about that as a way to capture the human element, obviously you're you're looking at sort of a fuller picture of what a, a player looks like. But are there certain players? sort of uh, categories within categories that certain players that are, you know, just more volatile than others? I mean, is there, are there certain generalities that we can make to sort of uh, uh, simplify our decision-making process? Well, I, I think the liabilities play into it a lot, and especially the two major liabilities, which are health and experience. And the, the more of a, a, a questionable health history a player has or the, the lesser amount of experience, major league experience a player has, the more likely the uh, the output, his statistics, are going to be volatile. There'll, there'll, there'll be a wider range of potential outcomes. Um, and that's a real challenge for us, for those who you know, produce statistical projections. Because, you know, for instance, last year, you know, we all knew that Giancarlo Stanton was a great power source, but how many at-bats would you have projected for him last year because his history was very volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Babs does, it says, okay, let's separate the skill from the risk. We know the skill is supreme and let's rate that skill among all the other top power hitters of the game. But let's notate that there is that injury risk. And um, in constructing your roster, there's what we call a risk budget. And you can allot a certain number of roster spots to players who have injury risk or experience risk. And, and basically bet on the potential upside of those players. So Stanton was, was, a, uh, was drafted, I think, in the third round last year. He was a, a prime commodity to take advantage of that because there's profit built into those discounts that we, we put in in the ADPs and the average auction buyers. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, uh, yeah, that absolutely makes, makes sense. Um, now I'd mentioned that, uh, your attempt to capture the human element, which, you know, you're doing in large part with Babs, um, is sort of a parallel to something I've been talking about on the show, which is my own new year's resolution, which is essentially take myself off of autopilot because I've got these, you know, strategies and rules of thumb that I've used for several years and I update them, but, uh, to just question more and more of those on a regular basis. And so, you know, for just as an example, to avoid catchers early on, um, you know, does that really make sense? Does that really hold up? Uh, the, the, the concept of breakouts is something that I'm, I'm you know, starting to question. But, uh, you know, so going on autopilot, you, you can be sort of unconscious to uh, mistakes that you make here and and you're out, and you're somebody who's always questioned yourself and always looked for the the edge to push. Uh, but are there 
bad fantasy baseball habits that you find yourself repeating despite your best attempts uh, to to revisit and to question year in and year out? Are there per- particular habits that are that are really tough to break? Oh yes. Uh, there's one in particular that no matter how hard I try, I can't seem to break out of it. And I think all of us struggle with this. And it's it's more of a higher level decision making process. I think whether we're willing to admit it or not, it's really hard to avoid being ruled by recency bias. And, you know, we, we go into each season using last year as a point of reference, when in fact this year is a blank slate. And as much as I want to do that, I, I can't avoid looking and seeing Aaron Judge hitting all those home runs and having that influence my draft decision this year, when in fact a player like him, which such a short track record, when I see him going in the first round of some early drafts, I have to shake my head because that is this clearly a decision ruled by recency bias. And if you take a look at players' performance year by year, their, their historical life track record, things don't go in, in nice trends. The, the performance is volatile. It's all over the place. Uh, so yeah, John Collar Stanton, again, you know, it, it, some people are projecting he's going to hit over 50 home runs again, or even in the 40s when prior to last year, he had never hit more than, what, 37. So that's really tough to get past because the the most prevalent data, the most prevalent perception you have in your mind is what these players did last year, and that is not an accurate indication of of what they might do next year. Yeah, that that is a tough one. And no matter what good reasons, you know, we give ourselves or what tools we might use, it's really hard to break that one. Uh, But, you know, last year, uh, this was the first where you – Babs had already been – you did already introduced it. uh, You were using it. Did you find that it made it easier for you to stay disciplined? Oh, yeah. And and a lot of the feedback I've been getting from my readers and those who've who've adopted it uh, seem to reflect the fact that it it makes it very easy to draft because you're not so married to the numbers. You kind of look at players as groups of skills. To give you an example of, of how it worked really well for me last year with two players in particular, um, I had Alex Wood on like almost all of my teams last year because when you looked at his skills profile, he was in the same group uh, skills-wise as players like Carlos Martinez and Jacob DeGrom, all three, basically the same skills profile. But Wood was being drafted like 300 spots later in the ADPs because of, of the injury risk. Well, with Babs, you have this risk budget, and if you're willing to devote one of your injury slots to Wood – his skills were told the profit potential there. Um, and similarly, last year, um, Evan Longoria, Jake Lamb, and Nick Castellanos, all three of them basically the same skills profile, but Castellanos was being drafted nearly 100 spots later. So he was also in many of my teams last year, too. And that, that's kind of how Babs works. It groups these players into like skills, takes a look at where they're being drafted, and that's where you can pluck out where the profit opportunities are. All right. All right. Well, uh, so, you know, that's really nice to have a couple of examples like that to, you know, remind us of where the value is in this. And now you've just introduced Babs for minor leaguers. Uh, and I think we've only got about a minute left, Ron. So I apologize for not leaving you more time to talk about this. But what's the, uh, you know, it's kind of the short uh, version of, of how that works? Uh, it's really simple, uh, basically. We, we just took all of the, the players' minor league stats, converted them to their major league equivalences using uh, modifications of Bill James formulas, 
and just applied the same skills filters and evaluators to those results. And the good players still still tend to bubble up to the top of the list. Your Ronald Look Juniors, your Victor Robleses are are, are shown at the, with high ratings uh, using the BAP scale. So uh, that that seems to work as well, and it gives you uh, an extra uh, data point in, in reviewing a lot of these rookies. All right. Well, that's important because yeah, we get tend to get overheated on the big prospects, and uh, this will give us a way to uh, you know kind of put their put our expectations in, in perspective. So, well, Ron, we're out of time, but I'm so glad that uh, you dropped by and shared your knowledge. And uh, y'all can uh, find this at uh, ronchandler.com. Lots more to find there. Ron, uh, thanks so much, and uh, have a great day. Okay, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, thanks, Ron. All right, we'll stick around. We'll be right back with some reliever talk. Be right back after this break. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for Daily Roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melker, and thanks once again to Ron Chandler for uh, dropping by and uh, dropping his knowledge, uh, or as uh, my colleague Nando Dufino would say, dropping knowledge all over our heads. Uh, great stuff from Ron. Uh, check out Babs. Check out ronchandler.com. And, you know, if you uh, were listening a few weeks back when I was formulating this New Year's resolution of mine. And one of the things that I was calling in question, if, if you recall, and you were listening uh, to those shows, was uh, the idea of being so rigid about using projections to set my rankings. And again, not in a completely lockstep way, but uh, making it probably the most important factor. And if there was ever an argument to not do that, I think Ron just made it uh, in talking about uh, how, how Babs works and uh, how the statistics can really, uh, you know, skew uh, our, our decision making in a way that uh, probably more often than not uh, does not help us find value. So uh, great, great stuff there, as always, from Ron. So let's uh, turn the uh, table here a little bit, uh, change the focus, and look at relievers. And here's a case where uh, the news is helping me out and, and trying to make a good segue here. Uh, so there are still a few uh, uh, arbitration cases or potential arbitration cases uh, where we're not sure what the status is. And here's a sort of a late-breaking one that the Orioles and Zach Britton have come to an agreement on a $12 million deal, so they will not be going to arbitration. Uh, but Zach Britton is uh, part of a very messy and sort of confusing reliever landscape. And, of course, uh, uh, Britain will be missing the early portion of the season uh, due to his uh, Achilles injury. So uh, I would assume you'll you'll see Brad Brock in there most likely to uh, close out for the Orioles uh, until Britain is ready to return. But uh, this is far from the only sort of uh, unclear situation that there is uh, at the back end of a major league bullpen. And in fact, I, I mean, 
probably more than any time I can remember that there's really a dearth of reliable elites. Uh, you know, usually there's you know four or five. I would say there's there's two for sure, and that would be, of course, Kenley Jansen and Craig Kimbrell. And some people may even be a little hesitant to really make the big investment in Kimbrell, given that last year was something of a comeback season for him, and uh, he certainly hasn't had the steadiness that Jansen has had. So Jansen's the clear number one. But Kimbrell was just so dominating last year. It's not as if it came completely out of nowhere. So I would certainly consider him an elite and the next reliever to target after Kenley Jansen. But what do we do with Araldus Chapman? Because about two-thirds, depending on how you define wire to wire, about two-thirds of the opening day's closer opening day closers did not go wire to wire last year. And it was the same ratio roughly in 2016. Araldus Chapman was one of the closers who didn't go wire to wire. He was the Yankees closer for the vast majority of the season, but he did lose the job for a brief period. And when he came back, it took a little bit of time, but he did finish the season very strong in the month of September, didn't allow a run in over 12 innings. And the big issue with Chapman almost the entire season was not getting swings and misses and strikeouts in the way that we're accustomed to with him. So over the years, there have been control issues with Chapman. There have been some injury issues, but um, not, not a problem with getting batters to swing and miss. But over those last 12 innings, he had a 23% whiff rate, which is actually even above and beyond what we would have expected from Chapman in his best days. So is 12 innings enough to elevate Chapman on a level with Jansen and Kimbrell? I don't think so, but I, I think it does make him kind of an option 1A if, if Jansen and Kimbrell are tier number one. Then Chapman, I would think, would be 1A because there is, you could say, well, it's just 12 innings out of entire season, but it's also a portion of one season out of a career of being a very consistent bat misser and high value uh, closer for fantasy. But then who's after that? Because you've got a fairly large group of relievers who should be able to hold the job all season long. But outside of Jansen and Kimbrell, because even Chapman again, lost the job for a period of time last year outside Jansen and Kimbrell. Is there really anybody that you can be that sure of who's going to keep the job all year? Who's going to be either healthy enough or good enough? I don't. I don't really think so. Uh, but there are three closers coming into this year who look like they're ready to join that that group to join Jansen, Kimbrell, and Chapman uh, as an elite or near elite. But they don't have a, a very extended track record. And then you've got another much larger group of relievers, closers that is, or at least projected closers at this point who are clearly a cut below that, but have been fairly steady and either because of a lack of competition or just because of a reasonably steady track record, they seem like their jobs should be more secure than the other closers or projected closers in the pool. So the three, what I would call emergent elites, Corey Knable, Felipe Rivero, and Rysel Iglesias. I mean, very, very good seasons. I think Iglesias, because he he didn't finish all that strong, maybe just a, a half step below Knievel 
and Ribeiro, but they would be right up there um, in terms of closers that I would target um, relatively early. But in terms of the larger group that I don't think have the same upside as those three, but might be safer, might be easier to predict. And again, sort of getting back to the Ron Chandler concept of different levels of, of volatility. Um, you've got Roberto Osuna, who had a, by and large, very good season in 2017, but he had a decline in velocity. He did have periods where he struggled. That has me a little bit concerned. Cody Allen, who's always been a little volatile, but then he's got Andrew Miller there. Uh, and in fact, there was a period of time last year, very brief period of time, where Andrew Miller was Terry Francona's go-to guy for saves. I think that's always going to be a fluid situation. So really, through no fault of his own, that lessens Cody Allen's value. Kelvin Herrera, who had a very off year last year, but I think is good enough to be the guy there. And especially uh, with no Mike Miner, with no Scott Alexander, I don't really see who challenges Herrera unless he is just awful. Edwin Diaz, who wasn't as good last year as in 2016, and now uh, there's Juan Nicasio in Seattle. So that potential competition, I think, puts him a rung below the others. Uh, that is, the, uh, the elites or near elites. Alex Colome, who was very valuable in fantasy and, and uh, closed a lot of games, but he's a frequent uh, target of trade rumors. You never know what role he might wind up in if he leaves Tampa Bay. And regardless of where he pitches, is he going to really be that reliable? Because he didn't get the swings and misses last year to the degree that I certainly expect. I think that a lot of owners expected. Arodas Vizcayeno, he seems like one of the safer ones. But I also don't think that the upside's all that great or exciting. Jerry's Familia, you know, a lot of question marks there in terms of what sort of comeback he could have this year. Um, Hector Neris put him in sort of the, the Vizcayeno carrot category that I think his job should be safe, but the Phillies are making some moves and, you know, I, it wouldn't be far from inconceivable that uh, they could try somebody else if Neris struggles, and he's he had been inconsistent last year. And Sean Doolittle, who I think is very underrated, but um, you know that Nationals situation was very fluid last year, and and uh, you know, I don't see that there's any reason. I guess that if there's a reason to have worries about Doolittle, it's it's injury history. Uh, I think when he's healthy, he's there's no reason to doubt that he's going to be good enough to keep the job. So that's a whole bunch of closers right there that have something going for them, but also some reason for concern. And then you've got another group that it's not even clear they're going to be closers, but if they are closers, I think you could put them in or near the group with Knable, Rivero, and Iglesias. Archie Bradley seems like he would be the obvious candidate to close in Arizona, but we said that many times last year, and it didn't happen. Tyler Lyons seemed like the obvious candidate to close in the late season with the Cardinals, and yet they really, uh, Mike Matheny really seemed uh, very set on using him in an eighth-inning role. Brad Hand, I think he'll be the closer as long as he's in San Diego, but how long is that going to be? Blake Parker, will he emerge uh, from the Angels group of relievers? And there was really no 
very lengthy period last year where the Angels had a consistent choice of closer. And then Brandon Morrow. Are the Cubs going to make more moves? Uh, is Joe Madden going to, you know, try to, to you know, innovate and, and mix and match? Uh, I would think Morrow would be the guy there. And, uh, you know, is he going to be able to stay healthy? So those five, Bradley, Lyons, Hand, Parker, and Morrow, I think could be number one RPs in any sort of format if they just are given the job and they keep it. But I, there are obvious reasons to doubt that that's going to happen. And then you've got folks like Zach Britton, who we talked about a little bit earlier, Ken Giles, Wade Davis, Mark Melanson, um, where there's health history or, in, in Britton's case, a, a current health problem. Giles, not so much health, but just consistency. I mean, this is somebody who looked like he was losing the closer job in the World Series this past year. So uh, they've been uh, closers for the last few years that you could pretty much count on or maybe more than count on uh, really be elite, but uh, have, have some really serious concerns. So anyways, I, I'll put, try to put a neater bow on this because it's a messy situation. But what does that mean for draft day? I'll summarize that on the other side of this break. Playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com slash premium and learn more about our awesome products. Welcome back. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And I will uh, try to clean up the mess <laughs> that I left, left myself with, left you all with uh, last segment. Uh, because like I said, it is a, a messy reliever landscape. But I want to be sure to uh, first just address a few uh, news items that I didn't get to earlier in the show when I was uh, running, uh, running through those. Uh, one of the items over the last uh, day or two, uh, Major League Baseball is reviewing the sexual assault allegations against Miguel Sano. Uh, their review began uh, upon their uh, hearing of the allegations, uh, and uh, this is all according to the St. Paul Pioneer Press, uh, that Major League, ba- Major League Baseball has no firm timeline for the conclusion of that investigation. And a couple of big-name free agents, just a couple of updates here, J.D. Martinez, according to uh, FanRag's own John Heyman, uh, is willing to hold out beyond the beginning of spring training. So just because spring training is about a, a month away now does not mean that we are uh, about to have some some news about J.D. Martinez's landing spot. And you Darvish, he may be getting a little bit closer. He has narrowed down the list of teams he's uh, willing to sign with down to five of them, the Rangers, Yankees, Cubs, Astros, and Twins. That according to the Fort, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Uh, all right, well, back to the relievers. So I, I feel like this is a really a work in progress for me. But I would say as of right now, 
that one of the those uh, unquestioned assumptions that I talked about earlier in the show that I'm not going to spend big on closers, this current landscape doesn't dissuade me from sticking with that. It's uh, every draft, every auction is different. So if for some reason Jansen and Kimbrell fall beyond ADP or fall beyond where I've got them projected, that's uh, you know that would be an opportunity to get them. But I, I just think that's very unlikely. And so I, I think probably what I see myself doing is waiting and getting one of those kind of mid-range, steady and secure types that aren't you know, super high upside and aren't, you know, a hundred percent guaranteed of keeping their jobs. But again, that's almost true of, of everybody. Um, you know, so maybe going after, uh, a Cody Allen or an Edwin Diaz or, or a Sean Doolittle who have actually already picked up in a, a couple of mocks. I think Doolittle might be in sort of that sweet spot for me of having some risk, but some pretty tantalizing upside, but there's so much turnover every year. That I think the strategy that I used last year that that worked pretty well to pursue uh, pursue saves, uh, particularly speculatively uh, on waivers and fab, because if you do it speculatively and the the you know the the pitcher is not getting saves yet, but they're in a situation where you know their skill set uh, could find the right opportunity, uh, you know that's uh, you know Alex Claudio would be an example of that from last year. I think that's the way. I'm going to go probably right now worked out pretty well last year. And it's just, there's such scarcity at the top. So there's my two cents on relievers and how to handle this very odd landscape. Uh, very, I think uh, unwelcoming landscape for us as fantasy owners. So with that, I am wrapping it up here. Thank you so much for joining me here on fan rack fantasy baseball. I will be back again on Monday, Martin Luther King Day next week with a very, very special guest. All right, what the heck? I'll say who it is. Jesse Winker. So join me at Jesse Winker next Monday. See you then. Have a good one.